0: Welcome everyone to the Friday morning, Thursday night football wrap-up edition of Unexpected Points. I am your humble host and narrator, Kevin Cole, data scientist at PFF. It's it's a good it's a good and bad week for nerds. I discussed some of this on the Monday morning week five wrap-up edition, plus the Tuesday morning, uh, Monday night football review edition of how the analytics talk is all over the place, highlighted some online social media discourse on this. But what I didn't really fully appreciate is how much the talk took over the take sphere going on on the old media Old media here, better known as television. <laughs> I don't know about you guys. I don't watch a lot of sports media take Smith television. It seems like that's basically what ESPN is outside of uh, broadcasting games. Because you have uh, 17 different variations of uh, two dudes and, and sometimes uh, a woman giving takes on what happened here. I mean, I guess there are shows like NFL Live and others and Mina's on there and she's great and she gets into some of the other stuff, but still, it's a lot of takes. It's a lot of takes, even on that show. There's only so much you can get through. Um, because of that sort of lack of information, again, it's like it's like the whole Twitter thing that I say, you're either informing or you're performing. A lot of performance going on versus informing on these take shows. I'm I'm not one for the performance, but I didn't realize how it was taking over everything because I saw this week uh, Ben Solak over at the ringer had a little video talking about analytics. He's getting into it uh, on the positive side. Of course, ESPN daily on Friday, Bill Barnwell's on their leading uh, numbers base. I don't know if he's like a, he's not really like a super nerd commentator, but he's definitely the leading media guy. I would say that's very friendly uh, background at football outsiders. He uses a lot of numbers there. He was on. Uh, talking to Pablo Torre on ESPN daily about analytics and everything. So we're having a moment. We're having a moment and guess what? Uh, football guys don't like it. <laughs> that's that's what it comes down to. But if you want to hear more about my whole analytics spiel, you can go back to the the Monday show. Uh, we have that time stamped. If you want to get on there and get exactly to my dissecting what's going on there. I mean, it basically just comes down to, it's just evidence, right? It's just information we're looking at here. And um there's no extra downside to losing if you go for it than losing if you don't go for it, which I think is the part that people maybe don't quite understand because of the immediacy and the clarity of results when you go for it and fail versus the delay and the more opaque nature of the loss if you don't go for it in these circumstances okay but i'm not going to get 'm not going to do the whole analytics talk again we're going to wade through the uh the muck and the mire of Thursday Night Football Bears commanders. We're gonna do that first. i'm gonna talk about some storylines from the week um some interesting stuff that you know it goes outside of even football related sometimes. Maybe I'll get into my not quite stick to sports sort of territory, but a little bit of that uh in this one and then we'll talk about a weekend slate of games and we got probably you know let's let's just say it, the best game of the of the season number one and number two in what should be teams in most people's power rankings um, outside of the uh, the people that feel like they need to rank the Eagles one or two because they're undefeated, uh, when we have Bills Chiefs. Bills favored at the Chiefs. We'll talk about whether that's justified or not as part of this wrap-up. All right, but let's get into, first and foremost, let's get into what we saw last night. A game of inches came through at the very end of this, uh, where the Bears lose 12-7 to the Washington Commanders. So if he, if he holds on to it there, he's across the goal line. He's in, but he doesn't. He gets control outside of the goal line. You can't be any closer than that. Yes, rest right at the end of the game, Darnell Mooney bobbles in midair in his attempt to catch. Brings it in. I think they give him credit for the catch, although I wasn't sure at first whether or not his elbow was out of bounds, whether he even deserved credit or not. But, of course, it was on a fourth down, which ended up being a turnover on downs. The third time in the game that the Bears had a turnover on downs in this game, including a fourth and one from the one yard line, which they did not convert. And it leads to this commander's victory. Okay, there's not a lot to say about the game itself, I don't think. Uh, The Commanders were one-and-a-half-point favorites against the Bears. The total was 38, which I'm going to have to, like, redefine all my models. (laughs) I'm going to talk about this a little bit when it comes to adjusted scores, too, because the lack of scoring is just crazy. Like, you could figure two starting quarterbacks, right? These guys are, are the starters, Whatever you want to say about Fields and Wentz, they are the starters. This is not a situation where you had a third-string quarterback in the game or something like that. Um, two defenses, which they're, they're okay, right? They're okay. I don't think they're fantastic, though, either one of these defenses. The Washington defense, uh, commanders have been applying a decent amount of pressure to some of their opponents, but you know, far away from saying these are great defenses. And we get a 38 total. There wasn't, no, you know, a little bit windy for this game, but not dramatic weather concerns. This is not the Bills-Patriots game from last year where they were playing in just absurd circumstances where I'm not even sure what the total was on that game. Obviously, it was way too high because they, because they didn't do anything in that game, but I'm not sure if it was that much different than this 38 total that we saw in this game, yet comfortably, comfortably, comfortably under here with a total of 19 points scored in this game. So only half of that 38 total was scored in this game. Just crazy, absolutely crazy. And maybe I'll just talk right up front because I'll just say the adjusted score here I have, 23-16 Chicago, is a bit higher than I was expecting going on to it. And an adjustment that I think I might need to make to the adjusted scores, I know we're getting a little bit meta here because now we're talking about the adjusted adjusted scores, right? Um, But I have been looking more carefully at, Success rate versus efficiency this season. And the first few weeks of the season, it was definitely different than what we had t- traditionally seen. So in other words, I'm building a lot of these models and I'm saying we're going we're gonna to downweight these outlier type of plays. And by doing that, we're going to focus more on success rate. So we're going we're gonna to model what, we, what we'd expect the efficiency to be, the actual efficiency to be, uh, based on the actual success rate. So we're going to model that. So we have an expected number for that, and then we'll combine it with the actual number for their for their efficiency in expected points added per play, and then that's going to be our mixed number rather than just looking at the actual efficiency. The problem that seems to reaching the point of sustainability at this point is that if you just plot out and you say success rate on the x axis, um, efficiency on the y axis, so how you're actually how actually efficient you are offensively. The whole line, if you just draw a little, you know, regression line on there, the whole line, while it's still sloping up, of course, like it, like it will be. You know, the more successful you are on a play-by-play basis, the more likely you're, you are to have big efficiency uh, overall. But it's just lower across the board. Your efficiency at a particular success rate is lower than what you'd expect. Let's say if you have a fiftieth percentile success rate now, um, what you're scoring is is below what you'd expect based upon in the past what that 50th percentile success rate teams are being close to as successful as they've been in the past on a play-by-play basis in other words generating positive epa on a play-by-play basis but they're just not getting the big plays which is lowering their overall efficiency and they are getting big negative plays whether it's turnovers strip sacks sacks things like that those are still occurring which is Messing with the model a little bit because, of course, it's trained on previous seasons. It's trained on stuff that happened before this season. And I think because of that, I'm getting somewhat inflated across the board uh, adjusted scores, which is playing into some of my models for looking at betting at over-under. So I'm going to have to fix – I think I'm going to have to fix this whole thing, maybe build in some assumptions where I'm downweighting it with the thinking that this is going to continue this season because I don't know. I mean, it looks at certain teams like – let's take the Bengals, for instance, who played – Uh, against the Ravens on Sunday night. It looks at those teams, looks at teams like the Bengals, and it says, oh, you know, their offense isn't that bad because they're being successful on a play-by-play basis, but they're just completely absent of these big plays that they had in prior years. I thought that'll eventually regress back. Maybe it will to a degree, but uh, it's not coming through in the numbers so far, so we're going to have to make some adjustments there. So, again, I say it's 23-16 Chicago. I think we can say Chicago was the better team in this game because of the fact they had all these missed opportunities a uh, muffed punt cost them six expected points, Uh fumble on the muffed punt, fourth and one failure at the goal line cost them about four expected points. Obviously this play right at the end, fourth and not being able to convert right on the goal line cost them a handful of expected points. All that stuff happened. So they probably were the better team. They were the more successful team offensively. They had about a 40% success rate. Forty, I'm sorry, 40th percentile success rate to about a 20th percentile for the commanders. They average 5.7 yards per play as opposed to four for the commanders. So I do think they were the better team. But these numbers, 23-16, might be a bit inflated. It might be more like a, you know, 18-13 type of adjusted score would be more appropriate in this game. All right, I'm not going to go through everything that happened in the box score, that sort of stuff. Uh, I'll get to Fields in a second, because I think we need to have a big Justin Fields talk. This is probably a big thing that we're going to have here. Everyone saw him in his first um, primetime game this season. So I wouldn't be surprised. There's a lot more negativity on him, despite the fact that he was definitely struggling those first few weeks of the season before playing a little bit better against the Vikings last week. Uh, But let's talk about some of the decisions here. I think all the fourth down decisions were – correct, although one of them was a little bit iffy, and maybe this goes into the field's talk also, the uh, Bears had the ball, uh, fourth and 11, and they were at the 43-yard line, the commander's 43-yard line, two minutes and 34 seconds left, down by five. So in this sort of circumstance, it makes sense that rather than attempting You're not going to attempt like a 60-yard field goal, right? At 4th of 11, you go ahead and you go for it in this circumstance. The numbers do point to doing that. The problem is they took a delay of game, and this is just really a bad one. And it kind of plays into some of the things with fields that you just can't do that. I mean, they they were there. They were ready. They had plenty of time. He was barking out whatever sort of uh, pre-snap, you know, uh, instructions to people. He does a fake hut sort of situation. And then he says, let's hurry up and let's snap it. And it's just a little bit too late. It's one of those ones where sometimes they let it go because by the time that the, the, whole, the whole way that works is that the field judge is looking down to see when it snapped and then they look up. And if there's zero on the clock, when they look up, then they call it. So sometimes that that isn't happening. Um, but this 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 decision here, Fourth and 16, eh, I don't know. I mean, it went slightly, like, negative towards maybe you, should, maybe you shouldn't maybe should go for it. Maybe you should punt in this situation, try to pin them back, and then get the ball back rather than try to convert a fourth and 16 because, I mean, it depends on your offense, of course, but I get it that you need the points there. I mean, they end up getting the ball back anyway, right? I get it that you need the points there, but your success rate in a fourth and 16 with this offense is probably, like, 10%, if not less than 10%. Um, so it's a, it's a rough one. It's a rough one in that circumstance as to what you should, should do or not. But you could have punted there. I think the bigger thing was just how do you miss and how do you take a delay of game in that circumstance? That part of it was really, really bad. Okay, let's get into Justin Fields' talk because um, he was doing a lot of work for sacks or a quarterback stat people like myself. He was doing a ton of work there because – If you look at, you know, what was happening on this, especially on the first sack of the game that he ended up taking, he was holding, 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 clutching, moving around, and then eventually taking the sack. I mean, this is a play where it was, and I'm going to look at some of his numbers on the different sacks that he took in this game. He took five sacks in this game. So that is, you know, it's a lot. Uh, for only 42 dropbacks not the worst number ever but over 10 percent which has been over he's the worst on the season doing this sort of stuff um, and when you look at these different plays this play they started the game that everyone saw and then the other sacks that eventually came the time to pressure on this play was 3.8 seconds so he wasn't even facing pressure until 3.8 seconds just remember most quarterbacks are have a time to throw. So the ball is out of their hands, even including big plays like scrambles and other things and sacks. They're taking most time. Most quarterbacks are better than three or lower than three uh, seconds. The ball is out of their hand on average fields. His first three sacks that he took, he did wasn't even pressured until 3.8 seconds, 3.5 seconds and 3.3 seconds. So he wouldn't even face a pressure. A normal quarterback is probably not even facing a pressure on those plays. And if you look at when he was sacked, the actual time to sack, 5.9 seconds on that first one. So almost 6 seconds he had the ball in his hand before he eventually he couldn't he couldn't he couldn't throw away. He couldn't find a receiver. He couldn't escape and scramble by that point. 5.9 seconds. The second one 4.4, so not quite as bad, but then 7.8 seconds on the third one. That's just way too much time. There's just no, no reason you should be holding it for that long and then eventually taking a sack. You have to have something in mind to do by the end of that. Now, his final two sacks, he was pressured in 2.2 seconds, which is pretty fast, but not, not under two seconds. You know, It wasn't like Carson Wentz's first sack where he was, he was uh, pressured immediately. And even one of those two, 4.6 seconds, he held the ball on that one before taking the sack. You can't do that. Uh, plus, we're talking about 10 scrambles in this game. I mean, I am pro-scrambling for quarterbacks, but you don't want to overuse it. And what I was looking at for Fields, this is a number that I looked at for him coming out of college, which concerned me a little bit. It's going to be very concerning what he's doing in the pros. I pointed to it for Malik Willis a little bit as being potential issue for him. If he ever gets and starts for, for the NFL, we're going to have to look at it closer, closely. is just adding up the sacks and scrambles and getting an idea of how often when someone is dropping back to pass, They're not passing the ball. Scrambling is good in certain circumstances, again. But if you're not passing the ball 10% of the time, that's fine. If you're not passing the ball 20% of the time, eh, it's not great. If you're not passing the ball 30% of the time, that's really not great. Okay, Fields did not pass the ball 35% of the time. Then he went back. Basically, one of every three times, he dropped back to pass. Remember, that's the intention. That's what you're trying to do. That's the highest efficiency play on that game is to pass down the field, 35% of the time, not passing the ball last night. 15 total sacks and scrambles in this game. That's something that's been going on all season long, and it needs to be cleaned up. I don't have the solution here, but we do get further and further to the point of, will it ever be cleaned up now that we're going into a second NFL season? It's a trait we're now seeing for year after year after year after year. Uh, And overall this season, subject to finalizing the grades for this particular game which has not been done yet so this could change slightly so far the season fields is dead last in pff passing grade 46.3 uh, there are 32 different quarterbacks who have 100 dropbacks so far the season fields is last and i went to look historically that 46.3 number which will probably get better i mean the smaller the sample the more you have the more potential you have for outlier type of numbers I can't remember who it was the other day. It may have been Warren Sharp or someone was sharing a stat where they said, you know, through week three, I forget who it was. Maybe it was the Ravens, how well that they were producing against the Blitz and how it was better than any team had ever done before in history. And it's like, yeah, through week three, you're going to have better than ever and worse than ever more often because it's a smaller sample size. So you have more noise in there. Uh, if you could and you're not likely to sustain it over the course of a season. So never compare three week, Samples to full season samples. If you're trying to point to the best or the worst of something. Although I am comparing it here. (laughs) I am comparing the worst here, but I'm, I'm caveating it and I'm telling everyone this is not, he'll get better, but just to get an idea of the type of seasons we're talking about here, a grade, you know, in the 46 sort of range, I looked at grades that were between, you know, less than 50 over the course of a whole season. These are guys who played at least 400 plays. So they made it through a whole season and there aren't a lot even since 2006, as we've been looking at this. I mean, the worst, Blaine Gabbert, uh, 2011 for Jacksonville. He was the worst. He was around 40 for his grade. J.P. Lossman, 2006 for the Buffalo Bills. Matt Stafford, low-key, awful as a rookie, uh, 2009. Sanchez in 2012. Rex Grossman in 2006. Blake Bortles, 2014. Uh, PF Effer. PFFer Bruce Gretkowski, shout out to Bruce, in 2006. Josh Rosen for the Cardinals in that rookie season 2018. Alex Smith was really, really, really bad early in his career, uh, 2006. And then Tim Tebow, the uh 2011. So this is the type of company that we're talking about here for Fields. Again, I'll probably get a little bit better, but you don't see successful careers here other than Alex Smith. And even Alex Smith, kind of a low upside career for the rest of it, for, for the rest of what he ended up doing there. Um, I guess Stafford. No, i I mentioned Stafford's on there, but again, that was his rookie season where he was, you know, the own 16 sort of uh, franchise we're talking about there. Um, and if we look career wise, again, for fields, I do this thing where I'm looking at their um, their grading and their efficiency adjusted for sample. So I'm looking at play-by-play basis. I do this thing called Bayesian and updating. I don't need to get into the specifics of it, but basically it allows us to project a range of outcomes for players and their expectations. So the expectation for fields, now his range of outcomes is a little bit higher than more veteran comebacks, but the expectation for fields is now the second worst expectation for basically any starting quarterback in the NFL. Uh, Davis Mills is slightly worse than fields right now. Uh, The rest of the 2021 class is, you know, not exactly covering themselves in glory either. Lawrence is about 24th in his ranking, Wilson 23rd, Mac Jones 16th. So he's a bit higher because he had a good rookie season, but things are looking rough for fields. We can point to the circumstances being bad, although I think his blocking has been a little bit better than some people might think. The circumstances being bad, the receivers being bad, although, you know, Darnell Mooney's okay. Uh, Dante Pettis made a great touchdown catch last night, and but it's getting more and more like if you're the Bears, if you if it gets worse, I know you had won some games already, but now at two and four, if you have one of those top picks in the draft, I think you got to think about at least think very very hard, and probably if I'm the decision maker pulling the trigger on another quarterback in this in this upcoming draft, if these things continue for feels the way that they are continuing. All right, let's talk the commanders. And probably the larger story isn't even this game coming out of what we saw yesterday. The pressure is being applied heavily on Daniel Snyder coming out of this game. And what we saw was a uh, an article from ESPN is the big pressure point here. This was, let me... uh. Sorry, I'm bringing this up for the YouTubers, but here, but I'm going to focus in a little bit more here. So the the most explosive claim is, is highlighted in this one, which is that Daniel Snyder is going around and telling other people within the organization or people that he's talking to that he has, quote unquote, dirt on NFL owners and Roger Goodell, that through his legal firm that he is hiring people to go ahead and you know, private investigators kind of spy on people so that they cannot remove him. Now they need two-thirds of owners, so they need 24 owners to vote out Snyder. The vote will never happen unless they know the 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 votes are there. They're not gonna, you know, they're gonna count and they're gonna know in advance whether or not the votes are going to be there. But this is seen as being Snyder's way of protecting himself as part of this story. Now, of course, Snyder uh, came back with a statement saying that it's all very, it's all very, you know, false reporting, things like that. I think we have to, we do have to look maybe a little bit at some of the claims, grain of salt, you could say, for some of this stuff. You know that I'm big on incentives, so I think first of all, you, you would look at the reputational the reputations of the reporters here. This was written in, with three different ESPN reporters, Seth Wickersham, uh, Don Vanetta, and and uh, Tisha Thompson. Tisha Thompson? I'm not sure how you pronounce it. Um, Don Vanetta, former national security reporter for the New York Times, big, big time guy there. Seth Wickersham has written some big articles in the past. So credible, definitely credible reporters here. At the same time, from an incentive standpoint, like no one has any incentive to be fair to Daniel Snyder. I mean, what's your incentive to be fair to Daniel Snyder right now? There's, there's, there's none. <laughs> Basically, there's, there's none, right? So when you're talking about fairness and reporting, accuracy and fairness in reporting, the incentive there is reputational, right? It isn't that you have incentives to make things very provocative, controversial, uh, you want you want more people to see what you're doing, right? So that's one incentive. And then the counterweight to the incentive to keep people in line for not just you know losing kind of journalistic ethics and standards is that the institutional repu- repu- uh, reputation of someone like ESPN and then the individual reputation of the reporters for fairness. Eh, there's not there's not much risk, not much incentive in that direction when we're talking about reporting on Daniel Snyder right now. And I think. Also, as a larger point, like social media has really shifted those incentives where people are very incentivized to please their crowd and this kind of this audience capture type of thing where you're not really you're more and more concerned about you know the right people thinking the right thing about you on social media, which can really warp you know fairness in a lot of these different discussions. But as far as the, the claims that were made here, I think from a football perspective, um The one that jumped out the most to me, and this is something that was addressed after the game, is that there's talk of poor Carson Wentz. Okay, maybe I shouldn't say poor Carson Wentz because, you know, whatever. He's an NFL quarterback. He's making million to 20-something million dollars. You can critique what he does on the field. It's fair, I think, to critique what he does on the field. But um, you have to say... At a certain point, though, like the guy is just catching bullets left and right all over the place. And one of the bullets that he's catching here is that it was said as part of this article that Snyder felt like he could get if he got like the quarterback that he wanted. And this is what the the part of the article is talking about here. If he got the quarterback or a new stadium as part of this, there could be the silver bullets and all, all my problems will be solved. If I can just get a marquee quarterback as part of this. And then, you know, they traded the second, third and conditional third round picks for Carson Wentz, who at one point in time, you know, was an MVP candidate in 2017, all that sort of stuff. Uh, they mentioned Snyder's penchant for overpaying and negotiating against himself. I mean, I guess there's uh, I don't know if I'll disagree necessarily with that. Um, But this is the part here. It says, sources familiar with the deal say that it was Snyder who pushed for Wentz and and commanders, football staffers have told people around the league as much. The quote here is, it was 100% a Dan move, says a source with knowledge of the inner workings of the deal. But in the team's statement to ESPN, Rivera insisted that he had brought the idea of acquiring Wentz to Dan and Tanya. So Dan and his wife um, who supported it. They love this game and this team. And then kind of an egregious shot at Wentz here where it says hearing that Snyder hopes and marquee quarterback will chase away all his problems an owner laughed Carson Wentz you know why poor guy man why, why are we taking shots at Carson and then and then the picture of course of Wentz on here getting slammed by a bunch of people here man I feel I kind of feel sorry for Carson Wentz and some of this because he ends up becoming the story on this and then to to say that rivera was not too pleased about the whole situation would be a vast understatement um, because after the game he was asked about these reports again which he disputes that this was dan snyder who wanted carson wentz and everything else and this is what uh rivera said to the reporters you know they played their asses off they have they play their asses off for everybody they come out and they show up they work hard all right they don't complain okay they hear all this stuff, and they got to deal with it. I get that. I respect them for it because they're resilient. They come back. Everybody keeps wanting to say, I didn't want anything to do with Carson. Well, bullshit. I'm the fucking guy that pulled out the sheets of paper, that looked at the analytics, that watched the tape in the freaking, when we were in Indianapolis, okay? And that's what pisses me off, because the young man doesn't deserve to have that all the time. I'm sorry, I'm done. Yeah, and then Rivera just peace, peace out after that uh, for the rest of the press conference. So as you heard there, he's, he's he's pissed. I like it. I like him standing up for Carson Wentz here. I kind of agree with him a little bit here. I mean, maybe it's just my contrarian nature generally. Um, and maybe just my whole, uh, just being allergic to bullying that I feel like Carson Wentz, despite all the downside, like this guy is always just catching strays. And, you know, they mention in here, like, do you think like Rivera is really lying about this, that he did not want him or something? I, I don't think so. I just don't see it. I do not believe it. Uh Maybe I'm a little bit too naive when it comes to things like that, but I kind of think Ron Rivera is a good guy. Um So it hurts a little bit to see this sort of stuff, because I do think this is the downside of the incentive structure, which is dunk on Carson Wentz, dunk on Snyder, dunk on everyone here. Uh There are... There is like collateral damage, you could say, uh, when it comes to Rivera, when it comes to Wentz, when it comes to others here who are maybe not part of the larger story, which of course, Dan Snyder is not someone who needs to be defended at all. Um, But to see everyone else go down with them, and I guess, you know, you you lie with dogs, you get fleas, sort of situation, but to see everyone else go down with them is just a little bit uh, disappointing, at least in my eyes. All right, before I get on to some other stories of the week, and then my best bets For this weekend, let's talk DraftKings. DraftKings, NFL action is in full swing here. DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. We're talking touchdowns, big plays, and even bigger wins. New customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. If that's not enough, everyone can boost their winnings with DraftKings stepped up same game parlays. Right now, for every leg you add, you can boost your winnings up to 100%. With bigger payouts than ever, why bet on football anywhere else? To make things even sweeter, you can throw down on stepped-up same-game parlays once per game day all season long. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF to get $200 in free bets if your team wins when you place a $5 bet on any football game. That's code PFF, only a DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Also, the Unexpected Points podcast is brought to you by Western and Southern Financial Group. When you focus on your roster moves, Western and Southern helps advance your money moves. Buying your first home, planning to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow. Western and Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernandsouthern.com slash PFF. All right. Great weekend of games coming up here. Uh, well, at least we have KC Buffalo. So let's talk KC Buffalo right off of right off of that, right off the top. Um, right now, Buffalo is a two and a half point favorite in this game. And it's in Kansas City. So that's really the interesting part, right? Is that I believe this is the first time ever Patrick Mahomes has been an underdog at home. In a game, and if we look at the opening line here, oh, it's up to three! Holy crap! There are there are threes out there. Okay, now now we're getting a warning signal. Now, although the three is um, the taking Kansas City plus the points, it looks like it's minus one twenty though. So you have to give up a little bit of extra juice. Might be worth it. Um, but this opened at one and a half. So if anything, people are into it. I mean, I do think. The way the Bills have played this year, they're like head and shoulders and torso above the rest of the NFL. It makes sense. I think that they would be favored, but if we're talking about three and if it continues to move in that direction and eh, minus 120 makes it like a, a maybe play for me, it was definitely not a play at two and a half, but that three points is, it's pretty huge. Um, we'll see if it, if it, if it, if that continues, if there's any continuing movement in that direction to keep it there. Um, but as far as you know how these teams have played so far this year, I mean, the Bills have been way better than the Chiefs have been so far this year. Now, they're actually getting these explosive plays that we've talked about a lot of other teams have not been getting so far this year. They're actually getting um, some, some help on the ground. Not a lot, though. The ground game has not been good uh, versus Kansas City. But they're getting more help also from... From their defense, and I plot out adjusted scores, like average adjusted scores for and against. Looking at opponents on here, and if you look at what the Bills have been doing, and then you and then you, you think about tiering in a way where you're giving maybe twice the credit to um, to offense versus defense. I mean, the Bills are kind of in a tier of their own. As far as how they played so far this year, you have the Eagles and believe it or not, the Browns, which are pretty close. Uh, but but substantially, I mean, materially f- further away, but they're kind of a little bit closer there. And then you go into the next broader tier with the Jaguars, the Chiefs and the Bengals as far as how they played so far this season. Now, you also have to think about how f- how well you, you think the teams were going into the season and their schedule. Uh, Browns and Eagles have had a very easy schedule, so that would bring them down. That would move Kansas City up above them as far as how they've actually played this year. And the Bills have had a pretty tough schedule, actually, even though they performed as well as they do. So that would give them even an additional bump here. I think it's fair to say the Bills are the best team in the NFL. I think it's fair to say they are a couple of points better than the Kansas City Chiefs right now. But according to my power rankings, it's more like a point and a half better, whereas these numbers here imply they're, you know, three – Four five points better is what the line implies here. So I would take Kansas City here if you can get it at three. Hopefully minus one ten, not minus one twenty. But it's not you know a total gimme slam dunk sort of situation. The other ones, the other teams that my my numbers like for this week, and yeah, you know, I don't know. A lot of these my numbers are going to like the teams where you're kind of plugging your nose and just you know pushing the button here without having to like what you're seeing here. The other one is the Giants at home against the Baltimore Ravens. My numbers just don't like the Ravens as much this season, relying upon those explosive plays. Although, you know, I had Kansas, I had Cincinnati, which ended up hitting last week, but it was close. There were some big plays that the Ravens uh, left on the table. And the defense has been bottom 10 for the Ravens so far in giving up success. They've been a bend but don't break when it came to the the game against the Bengals. So that's part of it. Maybe my numbers are underrating the Ravens defense a bit. And the Giants finally had a good game last week. Um, it could be more about the Green Bay. Good game from Daniel Jones dropping back to pass, I should say. Not running the ball. Uh, if he gets a little bit healthier, they continue to run it here. And their defense has played a lot better than what I thought they were going to do uh, this season. And we also have narrative. We've got some great narratives going to this one with Wink Martindale, the former defensive coordinator for a number of years, basically got fired from the Ravens. And now he's with the giants. He's going to blitz a lot. Lamar had problems against the blitz last year. He's been better, a lot better early in the season this year. So there's going to be some big play potential out there. I don't think Rashad Bateman's going to go again, which is a concern. Although Devin DuVernay is probably a little bit better than some people think as far as filling in to that type of role. The line is five and a half, even though it's in New York, my, Line would be more like three, um, as opposed to five and a half. So you're getting a little bit here, um, on the Giants, and that's the way that I would lean on this. But again, I don't have like a lot of faith in the Giants, they could get completely wiped out, but the numbers lean towards them slightly. Uh, another play I like, and this is another team that again, my adjusted scores just love the Browns and how they've played so far this season, is they're at home, two and a half point favorites against. The Patriots and for the Patriots, you know, quarter massive downgrade in quarterback play here. Uh, I would have them being more like four or five point favorites in this one, clearly over the three, though. So that one's a little bit shocking to me. I know the D, I might be getting a little bit fooled though, here by the Browns of saying, like, I keep on continually thinking that the defense is going to play a little bit better or play more in line with their success rate versus how they've been playing and giving up third downs, giving up big plays there. Yet, I don't know. It's just weird because this is a one that opened up as as potentially you were going to see the the Patriots be favored in a game like this. Now they're underdogs, quarterback situation. I just think it needs to be a little bit more Bailey zappi has been fine as a quarterback. Um but the concern with him is that he dropped back a total of 40 times over the last two games um yeah it, it's it's been impressive that he hasn't fallen apart but there was absolutely no pressure on him last week from a scoring perspective or from a defensive perspective in that lions game and he looked he looked pretty good he looked okay against the uh the packers Right. But I think the Browns are probably going to sell out to stop the run in this one. They've had such trouble. Worst team in the NFL so far this season. Stopping the run. Uh, Austin Eckler ran all over them last week that they're going to force Zappi to do something. And Zappi is a little bit weak when it comes to arm strength. He's had some turnover worthy plays that didn't end up being turnovers already this season. I'm just not convinced on the 40 dropbacks we've seen from him over two games that if he has to throw it a little bit higher volume, that he's going to be able to maintain it. So the Browns um, laying two and a half, I'll, I'll lean on that one. And then the last one that I like here, and this one, this, this is, this is ugly. (laughs) This is ugly because it could be a complete wipeout is the Steelers eight and a half point underdogs at home. It's such a huge number. And I guess, I mean, the Steelers are bad, right? I, I get it. They got completely shellacked by the bills, I mean, I understand. I mean, the freaking Green Bay is only seven and a half point favorites at home against the Jets. Okay. Um, The Jets are playing a lot better than the Steelers. Don't get me wrong, but I'm just saying for comparison, they're seven and a half point favorites at home against the Jets. The Bucs are eight and a half point favorites at the Steelers. Um, I know the Bucs have gotten healthy. I think they're probably the third best team in the NFL. So I'll give you that. Um, At the same time, this is just too high to get way over seven like this with Pickett playing okay. You know, he doesn't have the explosive plays. There's no doubt about that on offense, but he's playing okay offensively. They just need to lean a little bit more into him throwing the ball. And defensively, they they stopped the Bills a few times in that first half. They just gave up, you know, a third and 10, 98-yard touchdown. Hey, what are you going to do on that sort of play? There were just some big plays that were made there. Um, but they were successful actually stopping them. They just can't give up those huge, huge, huge plays, which could happen, of course, against the Bucs, but hopefully we'll regress back a little bit. So the, the Steelers, again, these are not teams you're going to love. You're not going to love the Giants, the Browns, and the Steelers, but I think these are ones that the market is a little bit low, a little bit too low on those teams uh, vis-a-vis where my numbers would have them right now and where I had them coming into the season. All right, that's it for me, guys. Uh, enjoy the rest of this weekend i'll be back monday morning with a review of all the different games hope you're enjoying the little video clips that i'm tossing in there although i don't think the nfl is happy about it um probably getting demonetized here on youtube but i'll be back at you with all that information on monday morning and then of course tuesday again and then the thursday night wrap up on next friday morning rate review the pod thumbs up all that stuff if you're enjoying what you're hearing otherwise i'll be talking at all of you next week have a great weekend